today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Yesterday, on Parliament Hill, Finance Minister Bill Morneau got up to talk about the financial outlook for the rest of the year. Will the books be balanced? Will they remain in deficit? I have a concern right off the top, and joining us is the Director of National Forecasting for the Conference Board of Canada, Matthew Stewart, joins us. Matthew, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. So, first things first, um, as a guy who has enough trouble um, balancing my own books at home, I always get concerned when they when I hear about deficits increasing. The, the Previously, the deficit in 2019-20 was going to be $18.1 billion, but the fall economic statement tabled yesterday said the deficit will be $17.6 billion in new spending over six years. Talk about going into a deficit, and should I be concerned about this? Well, I, I think it is concerning uh, with a number of respects. Uh, there is a large amount of risk uh, facing the Canadian economy right now. And while the deficit itself isn't uh, overly large, if we get hit by another recession, uh, possibly caused by a trade war between uh, you know, the U.S. or China, uh, then suddenly these deficits could balloon to uh, much more worrying numbers. Uh, so it is something to be uh, a little concerned about. I've uh, talked to some financial people, and they all tell me it is a matter of when a recession is coming, not if. A lot of signs are pointing to early 2019. Uh, in your crystal ball, is that kind of what you're looking at, roughly? Well, it's very hard to uh, project uh, when we're going to face a recession, but there is a number of risks. Uh, you know, I talked about uh, trade war. Uh, there's certainly... Uh, you know, a possibility of a trade war between the U.S. and China, which could uh, turn us into a recession. We also saw the W or the oil price, particularly at West, uh, fall pretty dramatically. Uh, that could have quite an impact on, on oil investment in Canada. So there are a number of, of uh, ways that we could see a recession. Um, interest rates, uh, how much of a factor, um, it, I mean, it seems to have a play in everything, but uh, talk about that and uh, what that could uh, uh, affect uh, the finances down the road. Uh, Interest rates are going to have a huge effect on the Canadian economy. Uh, Consumers have been driving uh, Canadian growth for a number of years, uh, and a lot of that's come from a large run-up in debt. Uh, Consumers have have fueled their spending by borrowing. Uh, Yet as the economy uh, closes in on its full capacity, uh, the bank has uh, little choice but to increase rates to head off inflation, and and that's going to bite on consumers. Uh, We expect interest rates to raise another three times uh, next year. Uh, so that'll that'll hit uh, consumers pretty hard. So we're talking three times next year. I, th- I believe we've had five so far this year. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. In the last uh, about a year and a half, that's correct. So um, the government is calling it investing in middle class jobs. Uh, the the government is proposing a new strategy for uh, diversifying some exports with the goal of boosting international exports. Um, the investing in middle class jobs kind of break that down for us. Uh, would businesses be happy with this, or are there still some concerns? Well, you know, the Canadian economy has been doing uh, pretty well uh, over the last, uh, you know, two years. Um, and like I mentioned uh, just previously, a lot of that's been driven by the consumer. Uh, what's been missing is business investment. Uh, Canadian companies haven't been investing in Canada despite the strong growth. And a lot of the reason is, is they've been looking to the U.S. and saying, you know what, I'd rather invest in the United States than in Canada. And part of that was uh, a huge widening of the tax gap between uh, what they would face in Canada and what they would face in the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. through the, the tax cuts that uh, Trump has announced and the, the lack of a you know, carbon tax in, in the U.S. And all of these factors have been 
limiting Canadian investment. So they, they tried to address that uh, with uh, tax reductions through accelerated uh, CCA allowance. You know, you uh, talk about Donald Trump and the uh, tax breaks that he's giving to uh people in the states and a lot of people sit here and say well well, you know we're spending all this money we're taxed to death why can't they give us a tax cut um kind of a broad question and i know it's not a short answer but uh would tax cuts work here and the other part of this is why won't the government kind of uh you know step in and maybe help people spend money well you know the What's fueling the U.S. economy is the large tax cuts that, that Trump's announced. Uh, you know, that's responsible for most of the pickup and growth, uh, but it's not sustainable. Uh, they're spending so much more than they take in. They're basically spending $3 for every two they take in in revenue. So it's not sustainable. He's, he's going to have to cut back uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and I don't think that that's the direction that we want to go, um, go here in Canada. Uh, that being said, uh, if we didn't address the business investment uh, issue in Canada... Uh, you know, we're, it's going to affect our long-term growth. So I think the government at this point had little choice but to to make some uh, tax adjustments for corporations. You know, it's interesting when you talk about uh, uh, that three to two ratio. Um, looking at it uh, down the road, you say that that is not sustainable. If indeed it is not sustainable, what would some of the uh, worry uh, things, the uh, storms on the horizon be in the U.S. economy taking this forward if indeed that is not sustainable? Yeah, they're going to have to make uh, adjustments. They're either going to have to cut spending, um, but uh, you know, a lot of the spending is in the military that they're going to have to cut or, or the health care, uh, social assistance. Uh, that's proven pretty difficult for them to do. Uh, the other option is to raise taxes, and uh, you know I don't see President Trump raising taxes uh, right away, but uh, they're going to have to do something because the amount of deficit, the size of their deficit, is just not sustainable going forward. One of the things I find really interesting, and in our guest on the uh, Scott Thompson Show is Matthew Stewart, Director of National Forecasting for the Conference Board of Canada. Uh, they nothing is being finalized yet, but it includes new measures for Canada, Canada's journalism sector, uh, setting aside 595 million apparently over the next five years for a temporary 15% tax credit for people who subscribe to eligible digital news media. The media, as we know, has been hit hard. Newspapers especially. Kind of talk about that, because that won't be uh, really finalized until the next federal budget. But but for those of us that continue to get our newspapers the old-fashioned way, with somebody dropping it off at the door, I'm kind of waving my hand saying, what about us? Fair enough. You know, usually I don't like when we target uh, specific industries with tax breaks. Uh, You know, usually I like a general tax cut and and then let the successful industries, uh, you know, survive. Uh, but I think with media, this is such a critical part of our democracy, uh, and there's no doubt that it's been hit hard with the digitalization of, of media. Uh, so I, I don't mind a bit of support to the the, uh, the news media to try and help them survive uh, in the face of all this digitalization. Uh, down the road, uh, the government has factored in the acquisition of the t- Trans Mountain Pipeline from Kinder Morgan. Uh, this is uh, obviously something that people either like or people don't like. Kind of talk about that and uh, long term down the road, what you predict may happen. Well, they, they shortly uh, mentioned uh, the challenges faced, uh, faced by Alberta by the lack of a pipeline. But this is a, this is a crisis uh, for Alberta. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the gap between what Canadians are getting for their price of oil and what's available to U.S. Uh, producers, it's, it's widened to the largest level in history. Uh, Canadian producers are only getting about $15 a barrel right now. Uh, with this type of, of uh, oil price, uh, there's going to be no investment in, in, uh, in 
further investment in the energy sector. Uh, so this is something that we've got to deal with. Uh, we've got to get one of these pipelines built to try and get this price uh, back up towards the world market. You know, it's interesting. Conservative finance critic uh, Pierre Polliver said the federal government, uh, they used, uh, the term he used said, it's insane that there wasn't announced uh, more announced for the Western oil and gas sector. I know gas prices are coming down a little bit right now, but uh, can that be sustained? Uh, well, the... The price uh, that we're seeing right now is, is so low that it, it can't be sustained. We're going to see uh, a reduction in output um, in in oil production. Uh, there's just no way that we can produce at this type of price. Um, so they, they've got to do something, and I think the, the key is for them to focus on getting one of these pipelines uh, built as quick as possible to try and increase the capacity uh, to get the, the oil to market going forward. Last word of advice possibly that you would have, uh, Matthew, for uh, people that are, are listening, that consider themselves to be in the middle class with all the stuff going on, and perhaps they don't understand all these numbers. Financially, any advice for people uh, maybe preparing themselves for a downturn in the economy or an interest rate hike, uh, more so coming up in the next few months? Yeah, I think it's the on the interest rate side is the biggest risk to consumers. Uh, they've already seen a number of interest rate increases over the last uh, year and a half. Um, we're going to see more uh, unless we hit a recession. Uh, interest rates are going up. So I think we have to prepare ourselves to pay uh, substantially higher mortgage rates uh, going forward. So now is the time to to prepare yourself for that. Matthew Stewart, the Director of National Forecasting from the Conference Board of Canada, thank you for breaking down uh, a lot of those numbers for us. Uh, thanks for joining us. By the way, uh, you're, you're up in Ottawa. Is it as cold up there as it is down here today? It's minus six here. Oh, it's pretty brutal here today. There's no doubt. <laughs> That's why it's Ottawa. I know that. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Have yourself a great day. Uh, thank you for having me. All right. There's uh, Matthew Stewart, as we mentioned, uh, some numbers about the uh, the fiscal outlook that was announced yesterday by Finance Minister Bill Morneau. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Liberals have moved to end the Canada Post strike. They have tabled a back-to-work legislation. What does that mean going down the road? Uh, joining us is uh, from the uh, De Groot School of Business at McMaster University, Marvin Ryder. Marvin, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. Are you a fan of Chicago, Marvin, or not? I, I am indeed, and in fact, if you've not done so, Ted, on YouTube, there, believe it or not, there's a Russian tribute band yes. that I swear to God, you close your eyes, yep. it's like Chicago's there in the room with you. I know, they are absolutely phenomenal. Well, I'm glad you and I have something in common, Marvin, very good. Go. All right, so the Liberals have moved to end the Canada Post to strike back-to-work right. legislation. Too little, too late? Well, let's, let's praise it this way. Whenever a government has to order people back, they actually set themselves up brilliantly for their competitors, in this case the NDP and the Conservatives, to attack them. For sure that's what the Conservatives are going to say. Why did you wait so long? This should have been done weeks ago. Uh, get binding arbitration, do something like this. The NDP, on the other hand, is going to say, how dare you trample over the rights of collective bargaining process, and how dare you short-circuit this. But I think this was necessary in this circumstance, and here's why. This almost is unprecedented. Canada Post has 1.5 million parcels sitting in the Mississauga uh, sorting station that need to be handled. They have told, Canada Post has told the world through the Universal Postal Union that if you, the rest of the world, have parcels for Canada, hold on to them. Don't ship them to us until we get this backlog reduced. They've said to consumers, you know, uh, we may not be able to deliver things in time for Christmas, and this is absolutely unprecedented. We haven't seen anything like this since the Second World War, that a postal service has really been ground to a halt 
because of, of, of the strike. And also the last thing I would note is what's saving Canada Post today is not letter mail. You and I aren't mailing the same number of Christmas cards we used to mail out. We're not paying bills. We're not getting bills this way. We're doing this all online. But it has been parcel mail that has been the savior of Canada Post. Nice companies like Amazon and eBay that generate these parcels. This has been the saving grace. This strike in Canada has hurt them to the extent that the president of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, and the president of eBay called Justin Trudeau personally and say, this is killing the e-commerce business trade. Monday is supposed to be Cyber Monday. That's the day you're supposed to be ordering all your stuff for Christmas delivery. We've got to get this backlog resolved. So reluctantly, I think this is why the liberals have gotten involved. Um, which, which does beg the question, though, Marvin, in this day and age, and you've kind of talked about we don't get uh, mail uh, as much as we used to, in the in this day and age of uh, other uh, places to order uh, merchandise and what have you from, is there a need for Canada Post? Well, uh, the, uh, the alternative, and this would be the fear if this strike continued, if I was Amazon and I wanted to get these parcels to people, then how do I do this? Well, maybe I'll call up our friends at uh, UPS or DHL or another courier company and say, why don't I give you my business? And, and we, we citizens might say, well, that'll just be temporary. But no, if you can give me guaranteed delivery, then why would I go to you? Even if when Canada Post settled at strike, they gave me a really good price to come back, I might not come back. Strikes sometimes train people to find alternatives, and then they never do go back. So I think this is a critical moment in Canada Post's life. I, I understand both sides are dug in. I understand both sides have very important issues, but they may be missing a bigger picture. If we don't keep Canada Post relevant, then we may lose this. And, Ted, I'll say candidly, I, I, I still feel a country should have a postal service. We can rely on private couriers, but there are other good reasons for postal services. I'd hate to see this be the death blow to it. You know, you, uh, you talk about the uh, hundreds of thousands of parcels and letters and what have you sitting uh, idle at, at the uh, Toronto uh, sorting station. I'm wondering if they started right now, because, of course, the back-to-work legislation has been passed. If they started right now, I wonder how long it would take for them to clear that backlog. Well, to answer that question, it would be involving overtime. So if with enough power, you could get people and say, I'll tell you what, if you work extra shifts, I'll pay you overtime. But overtime is actually one of the central problems in this strike. The, the, the union was looking for additional pay on overtime. So I don't know how much these postal workers are prepared to do that. Again, to give you a sense of it, Ted, in, in last year, starting at about this point, we actually got Saturday parcel delivery. Now, many people remember when one time we used to get Saturday mail delivery. They weren't delivering letters, but they were actually delivering parcels because they needed to move them out of the sorting stations. And poor shopper Drug Mart, who wound up also being a, a depot for many postal services, you'd walk into one of those and you'd see these boxes just piled up because people weren't home during the day, so that's where Canada Post representatives took them to. You'd pick them up after hours. But that was how bad it was last year, and there was no strike. So for sure, if they can convince workers to work overtime, they'll try to do their best to move it. I think, again, if you order something now, pretty good chance you'll get it. But if you wait to December 10th or 15th to order for December 25th, I think you're going to be out of luck this year. How much bad PR, uh, regardless, and I, I, again, it's, it's been passed, the back-to-work legislation, but right now, how much bad PR has this created for, for Canada Post and kind of hurt feelings when things get settled after the holidays? 
Well, the, the first person, of course, has created the biggest headache for us, Justin Trudeau himself. He's facing an election next year. Um, yesterday they came up with an economic statement, which more or less says they're not going to be able to balance the budget for the next 20, 30 years. Uh, they'll get it down below $10 billion at some point, but for the time being we're not. So that leaves him vulnerable to attacks. Now with his back to work, there are certainly people who will be upset with him. The only good news for his point is the election isn't now, it's a year from now. Maybe, depending upon how other things turn out, he can get people to forget about it. In terms of Canada Post, I think it really depends upon who you blame for this situation. If you see, and I'm not saying this is true, but if you happen to feel that, well, you know, those workers are being greedy, they're looking for things that, you know, I don't get those things, then maybe you feel okay for the service. If, on the other hand, you view it as management's failure, that this is them not doing their job correctly, then you may hold a grudge. Again, Canada Post does have a bit of a monopoly in what it does. I do have alternatives for partial delivery, but in many cases they're more expensive alternatives. So, you know, I think people over time would grudgingly go back, but for the moment it sensitized people at a time we don't need them to be sensitized. And I would suggest if you're a letter carrier or postal delivery person to Canada Post, you you may in the next little while maybe get some... Uh <clears throat> some anger uh, directed at you if you come to somebody's door? Yeah, I, get, I bet you'll get both. There'll be people who'll meet you with a cup of hot chocolate and a cookie and say, right on, brother, and it's terrible that you were ordered back. You should have you know, fought for your rights. And there'll be other people who could be angry at you because they say getting the mail through is more important than your, your duty, especially since, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to lay blame here on either side, Canada Post sensing that this was getting mired proposed binding arbitration. Uh, binding arbitration says both sides makes their case to a third party. That party listens to them both and says, I'm going to award the adjustment to A or to B. It's a risk. One side will get what they want. One side will not. I think this is why you know, it was a sort of last-minute desperation, and I think the union said, no, no, let's keep talking. This could very well be the output anyway that we're going to have. Those, you know, those sorts of things create winners and losers, and people never forget. Again, Ted, I don't mean to bring it up, but there are still many, many, many people who remember those Stelco strikes in the 1950s, and they have never forgiven management, and that was over 60 years ago. Uh, that is such a, a long time. Marvin, uh, switching gears a little bit, of course, this is Black Friday uh, coming up in the States. A right. lot of Canadian retailers uh, use that uh, acronym, uh, Black Friday and and Cyber Monday. Has Black Friday now in this country become bigger than maybe people thought it was? Yeah, so I think it depends where you are, Ted. In this area where uh, I have the option, if I so choose, to take some time off work and cross the border to the United States to take advantage of it, retailers here feel bound to match Black Friday deals that you see in the United States, or at least to offer you an alternative to try to keep you local and buying. Now, if you're in Saskatchewan and you're in Regina or Saskatoon to drive across the border and take advantage of Black Friday deals, well, that's actually, it would take you a day to drive far enough to cross the border. So, you know, in the areas of Canada that are close to the border, they now feel obligated. Uh, I find it fascinating to see how Canadian companies are, are making a big deal of Black Friday. We don't have a Black Friday. Some have called it Black Friday pricing. So they're saying we've given you a whole week excuse me, a Black Friday pricing. In the case of Ikea, they actually call it Black Friday Week now. Uh, so we're responding, and again, the whole idea is to get the people to keep spending their money locally. This becomes an even bigger issue, not tomorrow, but on Cyber Monday, 
when American websites put together great deals, I guarantee you Canadian retail websites will try to match some of this to try to keep those Canadian dollars inside Canada. You know, you're, uh, you're talking about if you so choose you want to drive across the border. You don't look like the type of person, Marvin, that if, 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 Glo- if our partners at Global Television did a story about people crossing the border, they would show graphic. Marvin came across the border at 4 o'clock in the morning to stand at, at the Best Buy on Friday morning. You're not that type of person, are you? I'm not, because <laughs> generally I'm just buying for myself. Yes. And, and I, if I had a family, suppose I had a family with three children and I was going to be spending four or $500 this Christmas season, and I could get a turkey tomorrow at 59 cents a pound at <laughs> Topps Friendly Market, or I could, I could get uh, you know, a big screen TV to surprise the family for something less. But what I would tell the listeners is this. Do not just assume that even though those, those stores across the border have great deals, that if you challenge them, you might not also get some great deals locally. Locally, for instance, when I think of televisions, I think of East Hamilton Radio, give those people a chance. Now, if they can't give you satisfaction, fine. I don't blame you for hopping in your car and driving. But, but give the retailer a chance. You might be amazed in today's business climate that you'll see things that you thought were imaginable, unimaginable, excuse me, 10 years ago. Marvin, before we, we wrap up, um, you know, we, we uh, talked about the federal government last hour and the financial statement and the, right. on, and the Ontario government and, and cannabis. Uh, putting your hat on from where you sit at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster, I keep hearing the R word is coming up at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the early part of next year, interest rates continue to, to go up. What's your prognostication as far as the economy and a recession, or if you will, a mild correction, whatever they want yeah, to call it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to answer your question. Can I just go back and just talk about those two statements for yep. a moment? Yep. Couldn't it be more different if you had tried the Ontario statement where I was expecting hellfire and brimstone from uh, Doug Ford? Remember that places like oh, the McMaster University, the hospitals, they're actually operating under the budget that Kathleen Wynne had brought down. This was going to be his first chance to take the reins and make a difference. So I was expecting, as I say, hellfire and brimstone. And instead, it was a very mild, it was almost a ho-hum kind of a thing. The biggest announcement was a tax credit for the poorest in in Canada so they don't have to pay taxes under $30,000. But there really wasn't a whole lot in there, which makes us now think that the budget in the spring is going to be when we see all the hellfire and brimstone. The one from the federal government yesterday was almost a mini-budget amazingly rich, amazingly detailed, covered all kinds of different things, child benefit payments, uh, money to go into social housing. In many ways, this is setting up a whole year of election fever. I'm not sure there's going to be more goodies in a spring budget, but if I'm business, there were business tax reductions, and there was talk about interprovincial trade barriers. I mean, this, was, this wasn't an economic statement. It was really a budget. Now, having said all that to you, to your question about a recession, Historically, we know that the period between recessions in Canada tends to be 10 years. And if I look back, the last recession in Canada, 2007-8, that's more than 10 years ago. In a way, we're ready to have one happen. And yet there is no good reason for it to happen. Rising interest rates is actually a sign of a strong economy. We see record low unemployment. These are the lowest unemployment numbers we've seen in 40 years. So in a way, there really shouldn't be any need to have a recession All the economic fundamentals are strong. However, just like back in 2007-2008, this may not be caused by us. It may be caused by external factors. Certainly as we watched the American stock market and all of its volatility, 
um, there are traders there who are spooked. They are afraid. I don't know if it's because of Donald Trump or if it's because of other sorts of things they've seen, but they're afraid, and so they're looking for bad news. They're looking for a trigger to cause this. We saw the stock market in the first two days of this week in the U.S. drop more than 1,000 points. That's almost into what we would call a correction territory, 10% lower than its high. In fact, that, that correction erased all the gains they'd had in 2018. Canada, not as much, but clearly if the Americans fall back into recession, we will. And here's the other thing to think about. Remember, Mr. Morneau yesterday was addressing these lower business taxes in the United States. Uh, it's going to raise our deficit by $2 billion, his response. Donald Trump's lower taxes in the United States is causing the American government to have a $1 trillion, that's with a T, trillion-dollar deficit. Again, the question is, is that going to be sustainable? That's why I think what we're worried about in 2019, nothing in Canada but these external forces. Remember also 2019 Brexit. When you start putting that together, there's a lot of turbulence out on the water. Any one of those could could trigger a recession, but I'm not sure any of that's going to happen. You know, it's interesting you talk about external factors because we remember the one in 07 and 08, and that was a lot caused by the housing collapse and, and interest rates and people walking away in the States. I always wonder about Donald Trump uh, playing the uh, the wild card, and, and a lot of people are, are looking at him because we really don't know what to expect from him. No, exactly. So, again, going back to 2008, you're right, there was a, a housing bubble burst in four states in the United States, California, Arizona, uh, Nevada and parts of, uh, uh, what am I missing there? I don't know if I should California, but in those of that area, there was a big bubble burst, Florida. Um, the other thing that happened were these funny securities. People got gambling on these funny asset-backed securities backed by mortgages that really weren't very good, and when that market burst, so did those securities, and that's what caused the price crisis. We don't have any of that on the books right at the moment. As I say, economic fundamentals are such that we shouldn't have it happen, but it is very much the wild cards. In the case of Donald Trump, he's picked a trade war with China, the two dominant economic powers in the world, talking about trade amounting to hundreds of billions of dollars. Yes, we're not happy because of the trade on steel and aluminum, but the small potatoes in the battle between China and the United States, and China isn't going to take this sitting down, also, Donald Trump seems to be willing to pick a fight with almost anybody when the mood strikes him. He's picked a fight with Canada, with Mexico, but he's picking a fight with France, picking a fight with uh, Angela Merkel in Germany. He's a very combative person. What is that going to mean? And the more people he tries to fight, the more people who might say, you know what, I'm going to teach America a little lesson. Most recently, it's the Saudi Arabians. Well, what do they control? Oil. Now, they've brought the price of oil down. You and I at the pumps, hooray, look at that, 99 cents a liter, that's great. Yep. But in terms of the businesses that trade in oil, low oil prices do not necessarily help their future. Stable oil prices do. What else might Saudi Arabia do? This is the problem when you have that wild card in the White House, Donald Trump, almost anything goes. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. Thank you for the update on uh, Canada Post and uh, what to look forward to uh, the uh, the way things are going. If we and I really don't like to do this because it's still November. If we don't talk to you between now and December twenty fifth, Marvin, have a happy holiday season. I know we'll bump into each other, but just in case, let me be the first one to wish you a Merry Christmas. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Oh, and uh, maybe I'll get you uh, a Chicago CD or something for. Okay. Uh, 
for Christmas. Just to see. Perfect. All Great right. <laughs> Thanks very much, Marvin. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business. He always makes it so easy. I'd love to take one of his classes just because, just to see, you know. I'll, I'll even sit in the front row and take copious notes, two things I never did in high school, which explains a lot. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm Ted Michaels in for Scott Thompson, and it is Grey Cup week in Edmonton, and there's a lot of activity, as there always is, and joining us uh, for the first part of this half hour to talk about some of the stuff happening in the city of Calgary uh, from our uh, network affiliate QR77 in Calgary, Jock Wilson joins us. Jock, how are you, sir? Well, I'm probably a lot better than Hamilton Tiger Cat fans. Oh, you honest. see, you got to throw that in there right away. Of so. course I do. Of course I do. So listen. It's going to uh, be tougher for Hamilton fans yeah. tonight when Larry Dean doesn't win the uh, top defensive player in the award and when Jeremiah Mazzoli doesn't win the uh, the most outstanding player award. You know, so actually, actually, I was going to talk about that. Um, we <laughs> First things first, like, in my opinion, I don't have a vote. But the erstwhile FRC members of this city voted Jeremiah Masoli as the outstanding player for the Tiger Cats as opposed to the guy that many people should have thought was Brandon Banks. That aside, he has no shot against Bo Levi Mitchell, correct? Uh, that would be my opinion. Um, you know, there may be some voters in the East that disagree with my opinion, but uh, the bottom line is Bo Levi Mitchell had a very, very good year. You cannot take away his winning percentage. The fact that, like Jeremiah Mazzoli, his receiving core was totally decimated. And realistically, when you lead the league in touchdown passes, you have the second-best offense You know, going in. I know Mazzoli had the really sexy numbers with the 300-plus-yard uh, passing games, but uh, the fact of the matter is it comes down to wins in the Canadian Football League, and, and there, there's no one that can match Bo Levi Mitchell. So I'll be stunned. I'll be, you know, I don't think it'll be unanimous, because I think there will be some voters in the East that will take Jeremiah Mazzoli, but I would be stunned if, he does, if Bo Levi doesn't win. Of course, the other side of this, as you mentioned, Larry Dean against Adam Hill, the linebackers uh, for the outstanding defensive player again. Um, I would suggest Adam Hill, not a lock, but I would suggest uh, that he has a pretty good shot at winning this. Yeah, no, I, I would think that's going to be a very, very close vote. You know, I think Larry Dean is an excellent football player, don't get me wrong, and he had some very nice numbers. But, you know, a lot of the voters will look at the sexy numbers that Adam Big Hill has and, you know, hey, that wasn't even the best defense in the Canadian Football League because the best defense in the Canadian Football League was here in Calgary, and you had an interior lineman, you know, representing the Calgary Stampeders, Micah Johnson. I think when it was all said and done, Micah Johnson has been the most impact player, you know, for the Stampeder team. So I was a little surprised that he didn't get out of the West, but hey, uh, you know, you only get one vote here in Calgary. So uh, from that perspective, uh, the voters had their say. So we will see a very interesting battle tonight between those two players. You talk about Calgary, Jock, and uh, that that's one CFL city that I have not been at. And there was a lot, of course, we covered this extensively on CHML News. I want to kind of digress a little bit. The vote not to bring the 2026 games, or at least vote to uh, the Olympic uh, vote coming to Calgary. A lot of what was said uh, by Ken King on your station of the halftime show, Show last week on QR77, he talked about getting a new stadium for McMahon Stadium or a new location or what have you if there was an Olympic bid. Why is McMahon Stadium so outdated? Or is it? Boy, boy that's uh, that's the million-dollar question What so many people who, you know, who uh, are obviously involved in the sports world here in Calgary, you know, for, for such a have province for so long, and we have been a have province, you know, we've been, you know, really, you know, very vital to the, the lifeblood of this country with the, the oil and gas. But right now, Calgary's in the ditch. Alberta's in the ditch, and, and we're having a tough time getting out of it. Now, I don't think the Olympics were going to solve all of our problems. I was, I was clearly on the yes side 
But I tell you what, this city needed some civic pride. This city needed a little bit of a kickstart. And I think short term, the Olympics would have obviously, you know, got some jobs going in this city, would have created that civic pride like we saw in 1988 when, you know, uh, it was uh, Justin Trudeau's father that basically killed this province with the National Energy Program. So here we go again. You know, there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of fight for Alberta to get these pipelines uh, built, and I think it's very, very sad. We got a big rally going on in Calgary right now because Justin Trudeau is in our city, and uh, you know, there's over a thousand people protesting the fact that you know he uh, he he really doesn't give a damn about uh, about Calgary or Alberta, and uh, and you know, hey, it's not going to cost him in the election because Alberta is only a small part of it. But I tell you what, there's not a lot of Justin Trudeau fans here. And back to your stadium question. Sorry, as I digress a little bit. Yep. You know, on my on my rant from that standpoint. You know, Calgary has always been known as a winter city. In Calgary, because of the 1988 Winter Olympics, we have some great winter facilities that are deteriorating big time. So the the Olympic pitch was to put some money back into those facilities, including McMahon Stadium, which I'm not sure would have been the smartest move because it is the oldest building in the Canadian Football League. It is a deteriorating building. You talk to some people, they say it's only got a 10 to 15-year lifespan on it. So why would you put more lipstick onto a pig? Didn't make a lot of sense, but I also understand... It's not an easy thing to get, you know, a three or four hundred million dollar stadium built, to, you know, with either public money or private money. So uh, this is going to be a real dilemma because there's the arena issue here in Calgary. There's the football stadium issue. The Calgary Flames had it right when they presented Calgary next because that basically solved all of the issues. It had the field house with the new football stadium, with the new event center. It was a great vision. Unfortunately, you know, the location of it was a very contentious location because we have this big creosote problem with, uh, you know, creosote flowing into the Bow River, and it's a very, very dirty land that needed to be cleaned up. And unfortunately, uh, no one knew what the actual price tag was to be to uh, clean up that, uh, that, you know, environmental disaster that's happening in our city. For those of us in eastern Canada that hear a lot about the disdain that Calgarians have for Edmontonians and Mm -hmm. vice versa, it is Grey Cup week. Is that disdain? And I've been at enough Grey Cups to know that, you know, the parties continue and people have a good time. But generally, is that disdain put on or is there a genuine dislike between the two cities? Oh, no, I, I think it's very similar to, uh, you know, Hamilton, uh, Toronto, you yep. know, the, the dislike between those two cities. And obviously here in uh, you know, here in Alberta as well, because, you know, you've got Edmonton, which is, you know, a great city, you know, if you, if you like a bunch of politicians, because uh, that's where our capital is, and uh, obviously, you know, where our legislature is, but, uh, you know, here in Calgary, it's always been, you know, the Rocky Mountains, and it's always been the oil patch, and, and everything else from that standpoint, so yeah, it, it boils down to some great rivalries, it goes back to the Eskimos winning all those cups in the 70s, it goes back, you know, to obviously the Edmonton Oilers winning all those, uh, you know, Stanley Cups, uh, you know, back in the, in the 80s, and, you know, Calgary Calgary was always trying to climb the mountain from a sports perspective. So, you know, finally that's happened. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see these two teams. So, you know, hey, believe me, it doesn't play well in Edmonton right now that Calgary is going in, taking over the Edmonton Eskimo dressing room and uh, basically strutting their stuff in that city where Edmonton didn't even make the playoffs. So, so feels so, good here in Calgary, that's for sure. So uh, I just hope they don't uh, reverse the tables next year when Calgary hosts the Great Cup. So the Stampeders have taken over the Eskimos. Dra- oh, that's uh, oh, that's good, eh? I, that's I I I would love to see the guy that take over Mike Riley. I love Mike Riley. He's one of my favorite players. He is so focused. Um, <laughs> I wonder if Bo Levi Mitchell is actually the guy that's going to take over Mike Riley's locker. 
That's exactly who is taking over. My oh, friend. so there you go. You talk about rubbing it in. Last question for you, and then we're going to take a break and and go out to the Great Cup City. Um, I think I know the answer to this. Uh, the Stampeders are back in the dance for the third time. Reminds me of the Tiger Cats in the '80s when, by the third time, they were so mad about not winning that they destroyed the Edmonton Eskimos. Who wins on Sunday, and why? Whew, that's a, that's a great question because uh, you know you can you can look at this situation here in Calgary and you know we're, we're asking the same question: Are the Calgary Stampeders the New England Patriots or are they the Buffalo Bills? And and right now, if they lose this game, they're going to be the Buffalo Bills, and no one wants that to happen. Hey, the bottom line is when Calgary lost to Ottawa in 2016, I think Calgary was a very cocky team, a little overconfident. You know, Ottawa was, what, an eight-win team? Yep. Even though they were a first-place team, they, they weren't even in the same league as Calgary, who had won 15 games that season. And Calgary came in a little cocky, and they didn't take into account the Henry Burris factor. So, you know, congratulations to Ottawa. Last year, Calgary wasn't quite so confident, even though Toronto was only a nine-win team. But the weather was certainly a factor in that game, and it, it came down to three plays. This year, the Calgary Stampeders, I don't think they're, they're a huge favorite like they've been in the last two games, and, and actually the Vegas Lions will, will tell you that because mm-hmm. I've seen anywhere from four-point favorites to a, to a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So the Calgary Stampeders know they're, they're in for a dogfight. This Ottawa team is a very, very good team, as Hamilton fans know. And I think if Calgary plays their game and you know don't eliminate the mistakes, you know don't turn the ball over, Calgary's defense, you know, will win this game like they did against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. But I, I do think it's going to be a very, very good football game. All right. By the way, what's the long-term weather? Uh, I understand earlier this week they're calling for a high of minus six, which isn't all that bad. What's the long-term uh, forecast? Do you know yet? Well, thank goodness it's not going to be snowing and miserable like <laughs> last year. It's supposed to be very, very nice. And, and uh, yeah, I'm actually heading up to Edmonton, uh, you know, tonight, uh, right after my own show. So uh, it's going to be a great week for football, and let's hope so because uh, – uh, hey, I think that's what everybody in Hamilton wants to see. They just want to see great football. Games. Remember, speaking as uh, on behalf of, of Chorus employees, uh, beer is not something you can put on your expense account. Just thought I'd throw that out. <laughs> yeah, good point. And, <laughs> and hey, I'll, I'll look. I'll look forward to coming to Hamilton in 2020 when you guys host the cup. Okay? Uh, that that apparently is what's going to happen. So we'll see what happens. Jock Wilson right. from QR77. Enjoy the Grey Cup. Thank you for joining us. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.